Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Network. My name is Jeff Bradbury. Thank you so much for joining us today and making TeacherCast your home for, for, for professional development. Today, we have a very special show. We are celebrating the life, legacy, and livelihood of the one and only Jim Henson. Today is the anniversary of his passing, and to do so, we have a great guest to come on to talk all about puppets, great things that Jim Henson has done, and what it can do for our classroom today. I want to bring on our co-host and friend, Dr. Sam Patterson. Sam, how are you today? Welcome to the show. I'm doing great today, Jeff. Thanks for having me. I love this show. Now, today, we're going to talk a lot about Jim Henson. We're going to talk about puppets. This is something that you're very passionate about. But before we get to that, I want to remind everybody that we have our Tech Educator podcast live on YouTube, live on Facebook, live on Periscope each and every Wednesday night, 8.30 Eastern. We'd love it if you guys would join us here for our live show. We have a lot of great things happening. And also, if you're out there... Check us out on Twitter. We are here over at TechEducatorPodcast.com, and you can find all the great things there. And, of course, we want to bring on our co-host from the Northeast, Miss Jennifer Judkins. Jen, how are you today? Great. Good to see you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. How are things over on TeachingForward.net? Uh, very good. I just I had a, a great training with some teachers today, and uh, this time of year, it, it's a rush to the finish. So things are hectic at school, but all good, really Nice to have some warm weather rolling in. Now, I got to ask before we get started here, we are going to be talking all about, um, you know, Jim Henson, puppets, puppet making, puppetry. Uh, do you have uh, any fond memories of Jim Henson and watching the Muppet Show? I'm uh, absolutely. I definitely remember watching the Muppets as a pretty regular show as a kid and just really um, being drawn to the different personalities and excited when my favorite puppets would come on and you'd wait for their, for their kind of moment on the show. And, um, and so I'm excited about this topic because I think that it's a topic that teachers don't think about when they're teaching. We don't think about incorporating puppets, but yet it's just such a really, um, friendly and disarming way to introduce different topics to kids. And so I'm excited to learn from Sam about this. Now, of course, we are here live as we are in every single Wednesday night. If you are there in our Facebook audience or on our TeacherCast.tv, we would love to have a great conversation. So feel free to ask any questions. We are going to be incorporating them as we go along. Maybe even Sam will incorporate them as one of his puppets. So, um, Sam, let me just kind of open up the questions with you here. As we get ready to celebrate Jim Henson, um, is it 28 years ago that he passed away? He passed away 28 years ago. Um, wow. Yeah, it was really, and it was something that surprised everybody. It wasn't like one of these long-term public illness things. Um, and it was just one of those really unfortunate situations where someone got sick quick and it was worse than everybody thought. And then he wasn't there anymore. What, um, what was the official ruling? What, what caused his death again? Um, it, I believe it was a strain of the flu. Wow. Yeah. Okay. But I think we can all agree that Jim Henson certainly made an impact on everybody, right? Like who doesn't remember growing up and watching the Muppets or, you know, at least in my house, we always sang the, the 12 days of Christmas with Miss Piggy doing the five golden rings and lots but of great stuff. Exactly. <laughs> Sam, what was your first memory of uh, Jim Henson or the Muppets or any of that? 
Um, I was a giant fan of the Muppet Show. Um, I and I, I think that my love of Sesame Street was directly residual of my love of the Muppet Show because that was like a first and foremost. And Gonzo and Scooter were were really strong favorites for me. Um, and a I lot of it really myself, but yes, Beaker, yes, yes. And you know, Honeydew and Beaker. I, 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 I felt so bad right? for him, but I also appreciated the the you know the fact that he was often the butt of the joke and uh you know constantly being abused but i it is funny to think back about the different characters and there were oh, certainly yeah. so many of them uh we were going to do a little quiz during the show today uh sam here's our first quiz question barkley or snuffleupagus snuffleupagus why um because Snuffleupagus was a, because okay. So do you do you know the essential debate of Snuffleupagus? Was he real? There was this, you know. Seriously, is he real? And was it important to acknowledge he was real? And what did it mean that there was this thing that was real and not real that only Big Bird saw? It was brilliant in a in a world where half of the characters were clearly not real yet real and the other characters were real and real to have this doubly unreal snuffleupagus was mind-blowing and there has actually been a lot of scholarship written about snuffleupagus and if you ever want to fall down the rabbit hole just start reading about you know snuffleupagus debates I loved Snuffleupagus because of just his relationship with Big Bird, his pace, and and really his texture. It was just a completely different thing. You know, Barkley was going to bark and be like Barkley, right? But Snuffleupagus, that's just, just pure awesomeness. Well, uh, let's see. Sam, that was your quiz question. Jennifer, this is yours. Statler or Waldorf? Oh, gosh, you gave me a harder one. Right. What does that mean? Do you have to, like, get, okay, Jen, we'll give you a few minutes to look up a, a visual I reference. Say, like, I, I at, least out, I, like, at least I knew the last two you talked about. I could have spoken right? to that one, Zap. That's, that's, all right, all right. You gave, you gave Sam the softball question. I'm totally and, and it's, that. it, That's like saying which head of the two-headed monster do you like better, right? It's, it's clearly well, Sadler I mean, Sam, and Waldorf is clearly one puppet. I was going to go Sam for you. The next <laughs> one was going to be Sam. horns up or horns down. I mean, that one, that one. <laughs> Right, right. Um, Sam, start us over here. Jim Henson was take it away. Jim Henson was a a TV geek. He was a tech geek. Like you, you look tech innovator. That was Jim Henson. He really wanted to get into local television. He found it absolutely fascinating, and he was around right at the beginning when they were locally producing shows at stations. And he ended up creating puppets in order to be able to create commercial content. And he had some kids shows and a lot of the early stuff he did was putting on a record album and just putting the puppets in front of the screen to the record album. And one of the early, this is a fun story. One of the earliest (laughs) things he was doing was taking Stan Freeberg records and playing them and then 
Dancing with the Puppets. Now, of course, this is rampantly in violation of copyright laws, right? Like, no one was tracking the royalties on this. No one was taking care of it. And somebody told Stan Freeberg, there's like, hey, there's this guy down in this, you know, television studio. I think it was in Maryland. Um, and he's, you know, ripping off your records, and it's weird. So, you know, Stan Freeberg actually went down there and watched Jim Henson do his thing. And instead of confronting him and being like, you have to stop using my work without permission, he was like, wow, that was completely awesome. Keep on rocking in the free world. <laughs> um, and, you know, instead of being shut down by lawyers, he was encouraged and indulged. Um, and that was really neat. But then, he, you know, he started doing more and more technically advanced things and getting more people involved and thinking bigger about how these puppets were going to operate, what he could do with them. And it was something he taught himself to do in order to be successful in television, a field he felt it was really important to shape the storytelling in. So was he doing this around the same time before or after the whole Mr. Rogers um, come up and see Um Mr. Rogers came after, like, this was 1954 he was starting this. And, um, yeah, that he, his, his stuff was well underway before Mr. Rogers started doing what he was doing. But at the same, and you can see, see like, this relationship between, like, the interplay between the, the physical characters and the non-real characters, like the, the people characters and the puppet characters. In Mr. Rogers, you had some puppet characters that were full-size people in outfits. Likewise, in The Muppet Show, you would have giant, you know, Muppets that were essentially one or sometimes even two. Or Snuffleupagus. Was Snuffleupagus just two? It has to be two people. Yeah, Bar yeah. Bar see, my previous question, like Barkley was one actor with extensions on his hands and legs right yeah 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 job of the hut was three people but one of them was a very small person right um but yeah yeah now, it's not it has to be too now if i remember correctly the first muppet on tv was rolf the dog rolf the dog was a purina commercial right. mascot so yeah, that they and they got a lot of use out of each of these puppets they built. So the ones they they built for early stuff, they brought back later and improved on, which we you know was really neat, really neat. And when they figured out they were trying to look at different things they could do with it, they got a lot of response for children's programming, and they really took that quite seriously. And they founded the Children's Television Workshop, and they actually funded research to look at how kids learn while using television. And they based what they did on that research, right? So they were doing the work, but they were also studying the work they were doing, and they were changing what they were doing to make it be more effective at education. And in a lot of ways, this is incredibly different than the tech innovation we see right now, right? Jim Henson's there right at the beginning, revolutionizing how we do video instruction. Do you remember the where the characters would write with their finger and they were using rotoscope layovers, uh -huh. right? To put the letters on there. That was amazing. We can only just barely get to that now. It's super cool. Like, you know, I still have to do serious work in After Effects to get that done. <laughs> um, but other than that, so many of the tools that they were using at that time, we now have in our iPads, right? So all of the instructional work that took an entire television studio we now have available to us in our classrooms. And that's really cool because they frankly figured out how to do some incredibly engaging work. 
Jen, what are your early memories of this? Well, I just, I, you know, just as a kid watching the um, programming, it just, it was like this other world, you know, I, I think that kind of like Sam was saying before you had things that were not real yet real. So, you know, you just really, on the one hand, you, every once in a while you'd think, oh my gosh, there are people whose hands are in these puppets making them move. Like that's incredible. Um, but each of them had such a unique personality that, um, you really fell in love with the, with each of them or, or didn't like certain characters. And so it's just funny how, how you'd have strong reactions and feelings to, as each character would come on screen and, you know, how you would just look forward to certain elements of the show because the show had kind of a clear format. So I think as kids, you, you knew what to expect that there would, you know, you would always see certain, um, certain features in the show. And so you'd kind of wait for, Oh, I just, I'm waiting for, uh, this, this part where the, what are the guys that would be up in the, the name escapes me. They were always commenting. They were my favorite. I loved that. That was Sattler and Waldorf. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, just, you know, just such a fun thing to, to see. And it would, um, it, it just, you know, they were, they were constantly popping up in the show and it was one of my favorite things to, to, to see. And, and then even the spinoffs that they did from the, from that Muppet show into movies and other things just, um, allowed for a longer format of a, of a whole story. I mean, still to this day, I watch the Muppet Christmas Carol with my kids every year and they're in high school Mm -hmm. and it's like, it's not Christmas until we watch the Muppet Christmas Carol. So, um, I I feel the same way about the John Denver album with the Muppets. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I have great memories of singing. I grew up in a very musical household and singing that around mm-hmm. the piano with my mom playing and um yeah absolutely i think that they just it was a, just a huge part of our growing up but i think that it's not the idea of puppets is not an old idea it just kind of had its genesis in a, in a really big public way through the muppets and so i think that again uh, you know in in terms of classroom application and use for teachers it's it's not always something that they think to do but um, in, in talking with you, Sam, and, and then doing some training that I've done, um, with, with introducing things like robots, which is like just a foreign idea to kids, having, having a Muppet, uh, having a puppet kind of begin to do that introduction with kids, very, very young kids, especially is a really, um, disarming way to introduce something new and, and, and the kids are, um, super engaged, but also not intimidated by something that maybe is, is a new idea to them, whether it be a new technology or a, a difficult conversation about, um, you know, student behaviors or, you know, we so much of a focus now in education is around social emotional learning. And there's a huge place for puppets in that kind of instruction and, and, and work with kids. Now, Sam, we know that Jim Henson didn't do this alone and, you know, every, Every great puppeteer always has his sidekick. Um, who is Carol Spinney? Well, Carol Spinney is Big Bird. We to you know cut through everything. And oh my goodness, if I had been able to, there was actually a dinner recently in L.A. 
at apparently there's a Henson Foundation building in LA. Hmm. I have not been there yet, but they had a dinner there just recently to honor Carol Spinney because Carol Spinney has been Big Bird forever. Ever, yes. And that's amazing because Big Bird is a joy-filled wonder machine four-year-old who's just you know aghast at the world and full of inquiry and always ready to make new friends and it's an amazingly nurturing and accessible persona and he's for what could be an absolutely terrifying creature oh absolutely and he's been big bird since 1969 Right. And only recently gave it up. Recently, maybe a, a couple of years ago, but I mean, recently gave it up just basically just due to he couldn't hold. Like you can't stand like right. this. You can't do that forever. You know, when you're 70 for eight hours to film. But I you mean, know, I, I I purchased the 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 who is you know who is Big Bird. I forget what it's called, but the Big Bird movie that recently came out, and you know, inside of Big Bird spoilers he's there with a monitor duct taped to his chest so he can see and also on that monitor he had and on the on the inner wall of big bird um if if anybody driving is crying at this point you know he's got his lines on the inside of big bird so he can read everything off and he's got the hand up moving and you know he's only got one other arm i i you you would never know that big bird doesn't have a second well, and they'll, arm, they'll right? do things where they, they he has a second arm, it just doesn't move. Right. And they'll do things at times where they'll make, you know, they'll they'll have it move, there's right? A, there's Is a lever and a pulley inside that that makes things go like this. Right. And it's it's really amazing. And the level of dedication that these professional puppeteers do in these constructed um Characters <laughs> is pretty amazing. Was that, was, that, um, was that your inner Carol Spinney talking? Is that- yeah, yeah. Apparently, I'm like, okay, how how many boards is the landlord cutting now? My goodness. Okay. Um, so yeah, the and that's like the level of these characters. You know, these actors who create these characters and then stick with them for years, and then the characters are are robust and important enough that they actually continue on. It's pretty amazing. Any famous uh, or favorite Big Bird stories, Sam? Um, I, I always enjoyed the Big Bird segments. I really liked Radar, his his bear, um, and the fact that he had that giant nest. I mean, yes. just that whole that whole construct. He lives next door to Oscar, who's the really you know. Like the, you've got the two polar opposites there, right? Like Oscar, who you were like, should he really be on a kid show? And you know, then you've got Big Bird, who's just literally sunshine embodied. What made it so special? Now, you you and I have said many times, and also you've said many times, puppets are magic, right? Now, what what is it about that phrase that is so true? Even back in 1969, when they started all of this stuff, why why is it that puppets are magic, Sam? Puppets are literally magic because they require you to enter into a social contract and they require you to accept things that are not real. And you know they're not real. You know that the same person is speaking right now, but you also know that it's a fuzzy orange puppet named Waka. That's for you uh, in-car listeners. Yes, there's two of us on the screen now and, and both of our lips are moving. And yet you're looking at the orange puppet there. Did I accurately recreate that for them, Jeff? 
They're driving, Sam. Right, right, right. That's why I narrated the whole thing. <laughs> it was amazing. It's like in this, we're doing, this is really amazing, Jeff. We're doing like an Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy tribute inside of a show to, 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 to who? Jim Henson. Oh, I love that guy. <laughs> nice. Um, I, I get it, right? Like we've been talking about this a lot and I've seen you in action with people who are just mesmerized by Waka or by something. Um, you know what it comes down to, Jeff? No, I don't. Tell me. Years ago, I realized that I would do absolutely anything to get my students' attention. Early in my teaching career, I would say stupid things like, I'm not a dancing cow sent here to amuse you. And later in my career, I'm like, maybe if I put on a dancing cow outfit, it would amuse them and they would pay attention, right? Like, I'm, I'm above nothing. And when I started learning how to make videos, I really, I said to myself, well, if I have to climb into their brains through their earbuds, fine, that's what I'll do. And the puppets are so much more engaging than they should be. And why? Because you get somebody to do a mental thing where they accept they buy into it, right? There is, there is that social contract and you need that in learning. You need that, that relationship, right? And when I come at the students and I say, well, you have to do this, this, and this with your paragraph, that can be really monolithic because I've said one thing and I often like them to make important choices. So maybe when we're talking about paragraphs, instead I have the puppets say, okay, well, what you got to do is you have to write a paragraph that convinces a guy to do a thing. I'm like, wow, that's really, really vague. Okay, you're right. It convinces a guy or gal to do a thing. Well, you just made it more vague with more words. That was impressive. Thank you. No, what this paragraph needs to do is it needs to talk about the text we read. Do you remember what text that was? No. Yes, you do. You just say no to frustrate me. That's true. The text we were in, and you can kind of have that conversation which is a little bit like a stand-up comedy routine, but it's really telling them what they need to do, and they're paying a little bit more attention because it might be funny or it might be weird. Or, you know, when I was teaching with my high school kids, the puppet might swear. Well, let's take a look at what you just said. You said stand-up comedy routine, and let's, let's kind of dive back into Sesame Street. Sesame Street was kind of Saturday Night Live before Saturday Night Live, right? It was sketch, sketch comedy, sketch learning, sketch... All they, these were, different they were things, using right? every trick they knew to fill the time in Sesame Street, right? right? Those those weird movies, that was Jim Henson's experimental filmmaking, right? And he would create those sequences, and he would go off, and he would build and build and build and build them, and then he would bring them to the Sesame Street team, and they'd be like, yeah, okay, cool. And meanwhile, they created a bunch of other content that was a lot more focused on the letter of the week or something like that. But yeah, I mean, they were doing every trick in their inventory. Jennifer, Ralph the dog or Fozzie Bear? I, I'm partial to Fozzie. How come? Because I think that on the one hand, he was kind of the, you know, kind of the silly one and the joker. But on the other hand, he just had such a big heart and was a good friend to his friends. He just had a lot more personality, I feel like. So I'm definitely in the Fozzie Bear camp. Okay, I can see that. Um, Sam, while I have you here, um, the Menominee guy 
or the Kuzbanian? Uh, who, right? Right. I, I mean, can't. The, the I can't Kuzbanian say. Kuzbanian had a mating dance. You know, the Mel and the Meltones. <laughs> Fun fact: uh, Waka is directly stolen from Waka Waka Waka. Really? How? Well, yeah, and right. and. What right. was the direct like? Okay, so let, let's let's jump back into that now. We're going to be all over the place here, guys. So, um, you decided to create puppets. I would assume based off of what your your I, you know, when you've been teaching for a really long time and you can't figure out how else to get better at it, and then you have a little minor breakdown, and then you try to figure out how to do something a little bit different. No, I had them all at the same time. Ah, okay. Well, well, that's that's that was the fun way that I w- I did this. And in the midst of that, I was like, I need to learn how to make better videos. And then I realized that I wanted videos to be better by not having my face in them. And I was trying to figure out how to get someone else's face to put in my videos. And you solved that problem by having triplets. Yes, it's just a slower return. I made puppets and. I actually was making puppets while my high school kids were doing other things and they could see that I was making puppets and maybe even that I was having a little bit of difficulty at life. And they were like, you know, Dr. Patterson, when are we going to make puppets? And that's when I actually tried my very first project based learning lesson. And we did a puppet version of Julius Caesar. Okay. And the kids wrote a Kickstarter. We were reading Julius Caesar, and we wrote a Kickstarter to create a full-length puppet version of Julius Caesar as our PBL. Now, mind you, we didn't make the movie. We just wrote the Kickstarter. That was plenty of work. Tully Monster or Harry Monster? Oh, Harry Monster all the way. Why? Because he's an OG. He had anger issues. They had to actually, like, just stop (laughs) using him. (laughs) Harry Monster not appropriate for children right like after a while they're just like you know what (sighs) let's bring in somebody that's a little more neurotic let's let's bring in somebody who worries a lot more let's 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 deal with that part of the emotional spectrum instead of just just angry Uh, Jen what would you say here Telly Monster or 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 Harry Monster Harry Monster okay okay um, do you know the story behind Don music? No, Sam, you've never, <laughs> Jen, do you know the story? This was one no. of my favorite ones. Um, Don music was a musician and this was back in the seventies, late seventies or so. And Don music was always at his piano with his Beethoven statue. And he was off to always write you know, write the, 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 the best song out there. Right. And he would always get a few lines in and then get frustrated. That and Beethoven statue is one of my favorite puppets. Yes. Yes. And then he would, would write like a couple. Scowl. Yeah. But, but, but Don music would always write a couple lines and then get frustrated with himself. So frustrated that he would start to bang his head against his keys and bang his head against his piano. Now, growing up in the eighties, I thought that was kind of fun. Apparently, for the time in the 80s, that wasn't appropriate to be watching self-harm on TV, and they yanked Don Music off of Sesame Street. Because the Hard whole thing was, if you can't, if, if at first you don't succeed, bang your head against the grand piano. Right, right. Now, understand that growing up in 1984 when I was watching this stuff, um, 
I was learning how to play the piano. <laughs> I was learning how to be a musician. Did you use your head? Well, you know, <laughs> uh, it, it taught me an awful lot. Let's just say that. Um, but I, I'll always remember the shows of Don Music, and it was a uh, you know it, he debuted nineteen what does it say here nineteen seventy four, but I, I always liked the, the the those kinds of characters that just you know they they were kind of out there they were kind of wacky with things. Um, do you know anything, Sam, about Kermit the Frog, and why was he the one chosen to kind of and what was it was the Muppets an offspring of Sesame Street? Like how did how did how did Kermit get to be the one that goes back and forth? Um, I, I think that was just because Kermit was kind of their, their primary piece, right? Like, and they tried to keep them mostly separate, but Kermit just went wherever Kermit went. But he was two different Kermits. Like on Sesame Street, he was the news reporter, but then on the Muppets, he was like, you know, the, he was Kermit. Right. Well, you know, there's, there's like NPR commentators who also do work for Fox. So, you know, whatever. Interesting. Sam, let's kind of fast forward here and we're going to keep jumping back around here, but what does Jim Henson and and all of this have to do with today's classrooms? You've got some funky things going on with 3d printing. You've got these, I I saw, okay. I'm just going to say you built a Donald Trump puppet. Didn't you? Um, It's only half built. No standards. Well, see, the thing is, there was a call for proposals that went out for puppet shows that used the songs. Secretary of Defense? No, no, no. It was a a puppet group here in L.A., and they're looking for shows that use the songs of Prince. And I listened to some of my favorite Prince albums and picked out some songs, and there was one of them that I've I've got a pretty good bit scripted out for, but it needs a POTUS. So, you know, I, I've, I've got a POTUS about half built. So if, if they need me to do that bit, you're, the you're ready. Good, I have the tool needed to do that bit. And this is iPuppet Donald? It's not going to have its own Twitter account. Uh, that wouldn't work. <laughs> I'm because, glad to hear you have limits. Is Thanks, that why yeah, Twitter's I'm been changing all its policies? Okay. <laughs> Right? So like what do you we, do with this stuff, right? Like I, I we've talked about, you know, I, I want to hit well, this, but you know, on we one level, about the paper right? bags, right? Like paper bags can be good for what? Paper bags are great for designing a puppet quickly and teaching kids how to make a voiceover. Because if you make a video with a paper bag, you're not going to hear anything the kid's saying at all. But doing a voiceover is amazing. If you do a one minute video with a voiceover, you're hitting so many different skill sets that like on the ELA standards, you've got all of the essentially public speaking standards that are accessible through video making, particularly if you pay close attention to the voiceover. You know, um, there's, I work at a school that's a um, mainstreaming uh, environment for Uh, deaf and hard of hearing students. Mm -hmm. And it hadn't occurred to me what a great language practice activity video creation with puppets is, right? But you have me, you're making a short video, you've got a script, the puppet makes it fun enough that they're willing to repeat it a couple of times. And, you know, if you do a voiceover, it doesn't have to be perfect, right? Because you know what, they're not moving their hands perfectly either. So it's really nice to kind of have that slop available 
and be able to have the fun that can kind of get them through the somewhat complex process of making two recordings and putting them together. When we're looking at projects like this, where can we start? I know a lot of teachers out there have asked, dude, what's up with that puppet guy you talked to? And I say, this is awesome. And they go, yeah, but people might not get it if I bring in a puppet. How do you, well, how do you, you know, start this? The, you start this by realizing that every day as a teacher, you have done the most steadfast trustworthy, accessible, reputable work you can do. Always on the lookout for your reputation, always making sure that the work you're bringing to your students is top-notch. And people have set your butt on fire time and again for it in ways you could never anticipate, right? Nobody? That's just me? Just you. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. You know, I think I think we have stuff that goes wrong every day. We have lessons that people don't like all the time. And the amazing thing about puppets is that they have an effect that's bigger than you would guess. And they can convert non-believers into believers if, you know, it fits into what you're doing in the classroom. I decided, you know, it, it, I had to be nearly at a crisis point before I went into puppets though. Right. Like, but once I started doing puppets with the kids, I couldn't believe how powerful they were, especially once I figured out how simple they were to sew. And I didn't have to be necessarily a sewing genius. I just had to learn how to operate a sewing machine. And I had an art teacher who was kind enough to kind of reteach me how to use the machine and lent it to me and, you know, started creating these puppets. Now, Puppets have taught me really important things about building things with kids. And I'm still in the process of learning how to teach kids to sew and, you know, teach them to do more complex stuff. But I'd say in a lot of ways, when I said to myself, gosh, I wonder if YouTube can teach me how to make a puppet. It fundamentally changed what I do as a teacher. Sam, I, I want to take a quick tangent here. We, we have a, a, an interesting conversation going on here on our Facebook. Uh, we have Alexis on. Um, Alexis, I might add, grew up with me. We went to high school together, and she's telling me that Animal is her favorite puppet. So I want to throw this one at you here, Sam. Animal or Sweetums? Okay, well, you know, Animal is phenomenal, but in the Me Too moment, Animal <laughs> might be problematic. Why? Well, I mean, he has been known to chant things like woman, um, <laughs> you know, uh, Sweetums, though, is the kind of character that every time Sweetums shows up, I'm just over the moon. I'm he plays some really great bits in some of the movies. He would show up at really amazing moments. I think he was on the Alice Cooper episode of the muppet show which uh -huh. is kind of an all-time favorite and, and and he's in the the i think it's still going on the thing in walt disney world the muppets 3d he's he's the main character at the end of all of that apparently the muppets in 3d started in 1984 it's still going i think that they're trying to get they're they're updating it at some point thankfully um be, but yes how, how much can you change when it's a 3d thing you know there's pies coming at your face um jennifer let's do this one here um 
Cookie Monster or The Count? Oh. I would say The Count. One, one wonderful vote for The Count. I just, you know, I, I think that he clearly had a passion for for numbers, whereas Cookie Monster had a passion, but it was all about the food. And and it was just something, you know, There, it was a very different, you know, Cookie Monster was... I, I mean, I do. I really liked both of them. It's really hard to say, but I think the count it was a little bit more unique in okay. his his interest in numbers, which was not something I was particularly interested in. So again, it just goes to show that puppets can can draw kids' attention to things that they might not want to to think about or or spend time around. And so, yeah. So let, let's take a like look at the Muppets. Count, fun fun fact: the count has an amazing Twitter. <laughs> Oh really? Oh, did he really? <laughs> he just he just tweets numbers in order. Uh oh. Stop we, it. The we, last we, time I <laughs> offered him was something like one thousand six hundred and thirty-seven. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> we uh we have on Facebook here we have we have two votes for the count by the way on that. Oh good. Two votes for the count. We now we now have Alexis's husband. Hi husband. Um, uh, clicking in on all of this stuff. <laughs> Um, and she, Alexis is now going to be finding the Twitter account here. Let's talk a little bit about nostalgia because one of the things that I love about the Muppets was that innovation of Jim Henson. I think we can all, and maybe I know I didn't appreciate it being the age that I was, but now looking back, you go, wait a minute. They had physical puppets riding bicycles in the middle of a park. How did they do all of that? Um, Sam, have you ever tried stuff like that? I mean, I know I joke around with you because you got you you know you make the puppets that don't have legs. But what I, I make the puppets that don't have legs and don't have arms or only have one arm because frankly I can't find enough. The, the problem with teaching is it's generally like you know there's one person there. So then when you start creating puppets for teaching, it's hard to build these complex multi-person puppets because you know there's no one else there. Right. Now, when you're looking at that scene in uh, what was it, Muppets Take Manhattan, when they're riding, I think that was Muppets they're, Take Manhattan. They're riding in Central Park, right? They're on the bicycles and stuff like that. Right, right, totally. How, how and, do you see that scene? Because that's really, really neat. How you know you don't like? There's no CGI there. That's just right. That's all puppetry. practical effects and puppetry. And, and you yeah. don't realize that at the end there's like a wide angle, and then like 50 yards down the road there's like so and so's daughter on a bicycle. And she's actually pulling all of the Muppets, but of course their legs are moving and they're singing. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that's kind of cool. I I heard it was overdubbed, but there was a lot of things that were in there. How do you take that scene, knowing what you know about puppet building and and whatnot? Well, you know, there's, there's two ways I watch that stuff. And... Generally, I I avoid watching that level of stuff super technically because, you know, I it's really cool. Right. And what's really great is as Jim Henson got more and more successful, what he did was he just spent more and more money on his movies. Right. Like he was just trying to create the, the coolest, most amazing stuff that he could and was in love with the art of it and was in love with that creative process and getting all of these smart people together to create amazing work, like the level of green screen combined 
with physical sets of, for example, Fraggle Rock. Right. Right. Is is really intense and amazing. And I think that, you know, work like shows today, like Little Big Awesome, which is on Amazon Prime, which has a very uncanny mix of puppets and animation. And at points, like the only time I know some of the things are puppets is because I've seen the Instagram account of the puppeteer who made them. Right. And I've seen that character like floating on the green background with the three people holding up old man satellite as they're doing their work. But when it's integrated into the animation, you can't tell. It's just redonkulous how seamless it is. And, you know, that's a legacy that goes all the way back to what Jim Henson and Frank Oz and all of them were doing, you know, in New York. So when you're sitting there with your four-year-olds and you're watching Sesame Street now and you're seeing all the awesome stuff and you, is there a part of me that should say, no, I really miss 1980s Sesame Street when it was all real and now it's just computer graphics and I can see that like Elmo doesn't dance and like it's just different, right? Like when Kermit danced, that was some pretty cool stuff because you knew that they were trying to figure out the camera angles. Now, you throw CGI Elmo in and he can fly and dance and pucker. You know, the, the, the way that I feel about it is they were using the best tech available to them at the time to create the best content they could for kids. And I think they're still doing it. It's just weird, man. It's just weird. I mean, I going watching great Muppet caper and then watching, you know, a few of the other ones. It's, it's just still weird. Well, I mean, you could get into completely other conversations about, Henson owned versus Disney owned versus whatever, right? Like it is interest, you know, they, it does become a much different thing when it transforms from a small cast of characters that are being, you know, created and enacted by a small group of actors to, you know, uh, international media conglomerate, right? Like that's big. But when you look at what it can mean for the classroom, you know, you just take it back to the fact that Kermit the Frog was made out of his mom's coat. Yes. Right. And it was that color green because that's the color green that the mom's coat was. And Kermit the Frog originally wasn't even a frog. And then they put the collar on him and they were like, "Ah, it could be a frog. And it became Kermit the Frog. Um he didn't even like the fact that it was a frog for a long time. It took him a while to kind of relax into it because he wanted it to just be this thing that didn't have a name Hmm. so that it would interact more with people's imagination. Labyrinth or dark crystal. Anybody here? Dark crystal. Right. Dark crystal. Great memories. Oh, wow. And and they are coming out with a dark crystal too. I'm told, but let's just keep the original here. Why dark? I will, I will start off by saying I wasn't a fan of any of that stuff. Maybe that was my age at the time, but I I just could not get into anything. I'm not, I'm also not a David Bowie fan, but, but why dark? Uh, Crystal? I I just was, you know, those movies, it was just really interesting to have a, puppet-based fantasy film. And that was just something that was quite different from the other ways in which I was seeing puppets as a kid, you know? Um, I, I don't know. It just was, 
I always love fantasy films like most other fellow nerds. So that was, it was an easy, I, I was, I, I really thought it was pretty cool. And, and I think just the growing up, I didn't have David Bowie in, in the house being played. And so it was that, yeah. all, like, that's why I didn't pop into that stuff. And I, even now, I Leverage was okay, but, but weird. But yeah, I didn't get the hands and the eyes. Like I, it just didn't work for me. Well, you know, Dark Crystal was kind of neat, but it, it just it didn't hit me. Yeah, Dark Dark Crystal was something that I really liked. Seventy five percent of the puppets and all of the story, mm-hmm. but the lead puppets really didn't do it for me. Mm-hmm. Sam, when we're bringing up puppets and education here, give us an example of a lesson or some place mm-hmm. that we can start. Like we don't want to bring Kermit into our, it's, it's like the one-to-one question, right? Like we don't want to, you, you don't have Walker on your hand 24 seven. No. And I don't usually teach with a puppet on my hand because I don't necessarily know what they're going to say. Um, but that's another story. The, like I used a puppet today in class with the kindergartners. And what we did was we set up a scenario where you essentially had Jack and the Beanstalk, but the Beanstalk wasn't there anymore. And we needed to create a way to propel Jack up to the Cloud City and get Jack back down safely. Mm-hmm. And I was going to give the kids a very select range of materials that weren't necessarily the best suited for it, but could create something and see what they could do. So in order to set up this scenario, I created a short puppet video with Waka talking about how there used to be this beanstalk in his backyard, but it was really windy and he was kind of scared. He didn't feel like it was the best idea to climb it at the time. And then it went away and it wasn't there anymore. But he feels like he really should go up to the Cloud City because there might be gold or, you know, goose or something really good up there. So... You know, could the kids really help him out and design something for him to do this thing? Which is kind of a, a real entry-level design thinking. There's only one user at it, and I'm giving him a narrow range of tools. But with that video, the kids went from that, and they drew up a plan, and then they started building, and they were working productively for 45 minutes. And this was in a lesson that had rubber bands, plastic spoons, and projectiles. Right. And, you know, there were no incident reports. So that's a pretty good uh, measure of engagement. That's pretty cool. Jen, could you see doing anything like that with with your group? I mean, okay, you're in charge of professional learning, tech coaches, all, all that great stuff. Could you ever see yourself walking into a faculty staff department meeting and going, all right, work with me for the next 45 minutes and then you put your hand up and start talking to it. Is this something that you just kind of have to be Sam to do or can you bring this in just as easy as you can bring in, you know, catapults with tongue depressors and rubber bands and stuff. So I'm, I'm going to be honest. I think uh, I, it's a little intimidating because I think that it's not, it's not something that I have have done before. And it's one thing for me personally to go up in front of staff or students and try something new um, that is, you know, a new tool or a new lesson that I haven't done before. I think what's really interesting about puppets is it it really makes you vulnerable because there's a creative component, right? So whether I design the puppet myself and there's some pride in that and how I might be feeling, how people would receive it, um, and and just wondering how students might respond or staff might respond. 
it's intimidating. But then I have to say that, you know, we're spending a lot of time talking to kids about um, resiliency and, and being, you know, being willing to try new things. And I think we have to model that as a teaching staff. And so I can't, that can't be the reason I don't do it, but I do look to, you know, people like Sam who have experience with it to talk about how they're using it. And the more that I hear specific ideas, I think the more willing I'd be to give it a try. I mean, I love, you know, I love the idea of making puppets because I like to sew. And I think that that's a skill that, you know, many kids are eager to learn because it's not something that's directly taught usually. So I, I can see like, um, maybe even involving kids in it to uh, not not just being the only one making a puppet, but having students do some basic um, creation of puppets, even the paper bag kind of puppets, and doing an activity at the whole class might be a little easier as a first try. Um, and I think it depends on, you know, you pointed out, it's not something you use all the time. It's just one more tool in your toolbox as a teacher to um, engage students. You know, you're totally right about have, making puppets with the kids. Uh, I've got a piece that Cheryl Morris and I wrote together for Edutopia, and she has done some amazing work with her fifth and sixth grade students where they make puppets early in the year, and they use puppets to create videos throughout the school year. Mm -hmm. and it becomes kind of a, a learning tool that they use, but that initial experience of building the puppets she gives them some directions that aren't super specific, you know, and there's a lot of opportunity to make mistakes and their mistakes will be made. And it's a very process oriented thing, but um, we each have a collection of pictures of like first, the first run through of puppets for some of the kids. And they just, you know, they, they, by the end of it, they're like, Oh, I see. I should have done this, this, and this in order to get this done. And they can see that everybody in the room is having a struggle because none of them have made a puppet before. And it's a really great activity. And it's one that I've even taken to adults. Um, I've done staff meetings. Um, I did one at Mattel, um, for their, their folks where we made puppets and, you know, even even those folks who you think like being at a toy company, they would be super strong, creative people, whatever, um, really were found it to be an amazing eye opening event to make puppets. And, you know, with my kids, you know, I'll, sometimes I start with paper bags, but sometimes I jump straight into hand sewing, you know, fleece ones because it's, it's just not that hard. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think. Um you know, you mentioned briefly, but I just want to underscore the the piece about the the ELA um, speaking skills. And I think that you know we're very focused on writing and and reading fluency, but but one of the big components of fluency is the the speech part when students are maybe reading their writing aloud or a book that they've you know that they want to share with um, their peers. And so, when there's a puppet involved, then then it's even, I think kids are more focused on the expressive speech, which is really an important skill. And, yep. um, and so it's one thing to try to be an expressive speaker when you're reading something and you're yourself, but I think it's easier for kids to focus on that, um, that expression when they're trying to create the personality of their puppet right and and have that shine through and right so this I, could almost be called like funny voices in edu right i know that <laughs> when i've had kids read aloud if the community in the class has been good enough they're willing to take risks 
when they start reading in voices, it gets a lot better because they actually have like a venue to be more expressive. That isn't their normal voice. Um, but it's hard for kids to kind of get over that hump. And puppets are one of the ways that puppets are magic is they're an end run around ego. Like when I put this puppet on my hand and I have the puppet read something that the puppet's reading something. And if like, it's in Spanish and the puppet's like, uh, yo, Caro, uh, you know, it's okay because the puppet doesn't know Spanish because the puppet's head is full of polyester, right? It's not personal. <laughs> it's the puppet. And we're trying to do right, but oh, the, the puppet made a mistake. Okay. Now we're going to, and that puppet, the, you're, it actually exports the mistake to the puppet. Like it actually hurts less mm -hmm. because it, mm -hmm. the puppet's involved. And that's, you know, one of the ways that puppets can be really amazing. Um, what I like it because it constantly makes me more accessible. I'm typically the tallest, biggest, malest person in the rooms where I teach these days. Mm -hmm. And, you know, having a puppet there where you know like i do wednesday morning greeting at the back gate so instead of being like a bouncer at the back gate i've got my <laughs> king puppet on there and this morning he's like felicitous salutations everyone and you know that was amazingly hilarious and all of the adults got the joke and the kids were just like god dr patterson's weird <laughs> all right next next round here and, and and sometimes jim henson was good for creating puppets that weren't necessarily made from anything. So, Sam, here's the next round. Gordon, Luis, or Bob? Bob. Why? Bob, Bob, Bob. Um, I don't know. Probably because... Didn't Bob write a lot of the songs? I think Bob ended up singing a lot. Bob talked to Grover a lot, and I was a big fan of Grover, and they had a lot of co-screen time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jen, um, let's see here. We have Dr. Teeth or the Swedish chef. Oh, come on. The Swedish chef. That's easy. And, and why? I loved his accent. I mean, how could you not? <laughs> how could you not? Right. Loved him. And I think the Swedish chef carried some really important cultural messages. One of them being that, you know, you can understand someone even if you don't share their language. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I thought the cultural thing was never put a rubber chicken in a hot pot. Or as he would say, biggest, forgish, thorgish, forgish, forgish. You know, one of the things that Sesame Street did was it did, and Sam brought this up earlier, it dealt with topics that were hard to deal with. Um, Sam, where were you, or what, I don't want to say how old you were, but where were you in 1984? 1984, I was uh, still living in my parents' house, uh, attending a local school, probably fourth or third grade. And what was the major event that happened on Sesame Street in 1984? I was that when Big Brother took over? No, no, no wait, no, no. sorry, that's that's a 1984 reference. Never right. mind. No, no, no. Um, was that the year that Mr. Hooper died? That was the year that one of the original humans, Mr. Hooper, died. And what do you do? You know the story around that, or do you remember how that episode went and how they had to break the news to Big Bird? I I remember it somewhat. I wasn't watching. 
Sesame Street as much at the point, but I do remember like watching that episode. But I, like we knew, I remember watching it, but knowing it was coming, it wasn't a surprise to me. They they definitely um, prepped that one. Yeah, and Mr. Rogers did that too. He you know he did a whole week on divorce, and they prepped that one with parents that says, "Hey, this is coming next week," kind of a thing. Right. Um, by the way, if you're out there listening to this, uh, we are gonna. I'm finding all these YouTube clips. So the show notes for today. Um, this is episode number a hundred and eighty three here, the Tech Educator Podcast. Um, we're gonna basically our show notes is just gonna be filled with uh, Big Bird videos here. So, um. Yeah, there's a five-minute video here of, of saying goodbye to Mr. Hooper, and it's basically how do you explain to a, what was he, four years old, six-year-old, how do you explain to a four-year-old that this person's no longer going to be around? Um, right. Pretty powerful stuff back then. Yep, and, you know, they, they wanted to make sure they got it right, and they, they worked real hard at it. Jen, do you remember that? Yeah. Yep. And I, and I think that that's one of the hallmarks that they didn't avoid tough topics. And, and I think that can be seen in a lot of the episodes that they did, um, that they were really thoughtful about the puppets allowed them to, to discuss topics that were, that were maybe not so easy to explain to kids. But again, that's, that's what we've been talking about today is that puppets sort of break down what would otherwise be barriers to. And they can ask every question. Right. They can they can voice assumptions that you want to engage. They can be very vocally wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, they're really useful. Um, as a teacher, I like to use puppets mostly to help my kids understand, you know, issues like uh, design thinking. Right. Especially with my young kids. I've got this thing I call design thinking with puppets and I've got probably eight or nine different videos now that are build prompts where four or five different puppets talk about what they need. And the most recent one was uh, a flashlight build challenge. And I built that video just for the teachers at my school. I was running a professional development on design thinking. And I think it'll also work with fourth graders because they do a lot of, and maybe even the first graders. I don't know. But it certainly was built with teachers in mind. And they loved it. They found it super accessible and they were excited to do it. And what I've found is when you present that information from a puppet, people are a lot more willing to kind of take it on as their own and have fun with it. I, I, I Sam, we can be talking about this for the next couple hours, but I, I kind of want to. I plan on talking about it for the rest of my life, Jeff. Well, I know, and we'll be we'll be doing plenty of things. Of that. If you guys have a favorite moment on Sesame Street, Mr. Rogers, Muppets, anything like that. Please let us know, um, teachercast.net slash voicemail. Um, I'm plugging that one because we would love to hear from you about all of that. Let me give you uh, two more rounds as we go through here. I'll throw the easy one out to both of you guys. Sesame Street or Muppet Show? Muppet Show. Why? Muppets. Well, I think probably for me it was just that it was a show that 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 had more of a longer-lasting impact to me growing up because – I think of Sesame Street as very much being a very early childhood, very young student, you know, focused on very young kids. Whereas the Muppets was something that I feel like I could kind of um, would, would sort of grow with me 
And, and so I feel like it, 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 um, allowed for a lot of times for more family time. Like I think about the Muppets and I think about my parents sat on the couch and watched it with us because it appealed to an audience that, that, um, you know, really extended beyond just children. And whereas Sesame street was something that my parents would plop me in front of so they could get some chores done around the house. Um, so I just, I think about it to me, I relate it to, um, family time. And also I, I have, um, memories of it, you know, that, that, that are well beyond early childhood and, and still enjoy seeing it. And, and I don't, I don't feel like I've ever outgrown the enjoyment of watching that. Sam favorite Muppet movie. Oh, probably Sesame street could be in there too. If you know, whatever, follow that bird kind of stuff. Right? No, it's it's really, I think, um, Muppet Take Manhattan. Really? I, th- I think so. Um, you like the frogs? I, I like the frogs. I liked... Mm. Um, I like the restaurant scene. They're all, hmm. Well, just the right. adventure of it, right, Sam? Like, it was just such a such a crazy adventure. Yeah, yeah, it really was. I mean, the very first Muppet movie was, I think, something all of its own. Right? And makes everything else pale in comparison just because <laughs> nothing had ever done that before. Mm. And um, one of my favorite things to do as a teacher is to have kids build a puppet. And like I did this with my pre-Ks, we built paper bag puppets. And then we talked about how puppets talk and we got to talk about syllables and when you would move your hand, which is not really great. If you're working on phonemic awareness, a puppet can be a great way to make give syllables a physical presence, Right. So with the kids, they built the paper bag puppets. And then I'm like, okay, it's puppet karaoke time. And this is the funnest thing to do. You put on a song and everybody puts on their puppet and you sing along to the song. Now, if you have a room full of adults, like if there's say a tour group coming through and you want to make all of the adults cry, you make that song rainbow connection, right? You just drop partway into the song. And even though the four-year-olds in the room don't know rainbow connection, they're trying. And all of the adults in the room are just too blinded by their tears to tell that the kids aren't even singing. It's amazing. Sam, we do have a question for you here in our chat. What do you do if you see a fork in the road? You see a fork in the road, you take it. You take it. Of course you do. All right. Uh, let's see two more here as we go through, by, by the way, thank you guys. The, the chat in the, uh, the Facebook chat has been kind of fun tonight. So I appreciate that. Uh, um, <laughs> we're, been, we're all, we're all waxing nostalgic tonight. Yeah. 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 Pe- Peggy's been keeping up all the links, all the links and stuff from our teacher cast chat. It's going to be in the uh, show notes. Again, this is tech educator podcast episode 183. Um, you know, uh, let's just do it this way here. Let's just get it over with Kermit or Piggy. Now, fun fact about Ugh, you're stalling, Miss Piggy. Okay, yeah. right? fun <laughs> fact about Miss Piggy. <laughs> there was some note or something at some point early on that described her uh, character, character as a transvestite trucker. Oh. So which, which one would you prefer, Sam, the the frog or the pig? <laughs> well, you know, it's it's Kermit all day long, right? Like when Piggy was the character you loved to hate, right? Because she was really obnoxious, but at the same time, she had that karate chop that just settled things, right? Now, and, and Sam, I'm gonna I'm gonna stand up for Miss Piggy here because because I just want to say that you know. 
as a as a little girl growing up, it was kind of great to see a, an independent woman and somebody that would stand up for themselves. Now, totally, she didn't always, she didn't always go about it in the most uh, feminine and gracious way, but. There's I think a it's, lesson in there. some ways there there's some value in, in kids seeing that, uh, you know, it's important to stand up for yourself and to have a voice. I got to tell you, I kind of like the Miss Piggy Joan Rivers scene in that in Muppets <laughs> Manhattan, right? Where they, yeah. where they've, got, they've got the lipstick and the powder and, oh, the, and you know, I that was kind of fun, scene. right? That was oh, totally. so adorable. You know, growing well, they, up. They, they have so much fun. And, and Miss Piggy was yeah. such a great presence on the Muppet show because yeah. you know it was her show as much as it was Kermit's mm-hmm. and you know the the different uh guests that would interact with her it, it was it was clearly a lot of fun well and that you needed that yin and yang with that you know the two of them were total counterpoints to each other and and that's one of the big things that made the show was that they were so different and yet yeah. you loved them in their own way. And like you say, kind of Miss Piggy was the one you, you know, you love to hate, but it, it's also, I, I think they, if everybody was like Kermit, it would kind of be a bit of a snooze fest. You know? Totally. Totally. <laughs> he was just trying to get like, he, he was he's like just trying to get it done. Time, right? You know, like, Oh geez. I need a little ac- action in there. So Miss Piggy kept it interesting. All right, I'm gonna, I, I save the I, I save the hardest one for the end here. Bert or Ernie? Oh, I don't think that was hard. I think the the piggy and the Kermit one was harder. Uh, Sam, Sam is quiet. Well, you know, I was always more of I I always identified with Ernie more than Bert because. You know, Ernie would would torment Bert, and yes. Bert always <laughs> thought that you know he understood everything better than Ernie did. But Ernie understood that well enough to be able to torment the heck out of Bert. And um, I, I, do you, do you remember the the nighttime? What time is it? Skit. I don't remember I, that I, one. I don't remember we, that. We, we just saw this one. Okay, Bert, it, it middle of the night. Right. Bert's asleep. Ernie's asleep. Ernie wakes up and goes to Bert. Hey, Bert, what time is it? And Bert goes, I don't know. It's the middle of the night. Go back to sleep. So Ernie goes and he goes, Bert, what time is it? I don't know. Ernie, go back to sleep. What time is it? Turn on the light. Ernie goes, I don't want to turn on the light. Then I'd be awake. (laughs) And so then he goes, Bert, what time is it? He goes, I don't know. Let me get some sleep. So a couple seconds goes by and Ernie goes out and opens the window and starts singing Oh Solo Mio. And he's on and on and on and on. And finally somebody wakes up and goes, Ernie, it's three o'clock in the morning. Shut up. And then Ernie closes the window and goes in. He goes, hey, Bert, it's three o'clock in the morning. morning. And I love that and, stuff. And now you, you know have to what's understand. so great is like I I'm, I feel like th- that is like a conversation that happens in my house where my husband's right. like I'm sleeping and now you woke me up to ask what time it is. Right. But I'm like, yeah. So can you tell me now that you're awake? I'm seeing this as the father of a four-year-old triplets, <laughs> and this is a completely different point of view for me because I know uh, that Robert and Christopher are going to do this one day with each other. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, we want to hear what's going on with you. If 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 this if you got to the end of this show, um, 
we know what do you think? personally will give you a merit badge. Right, yeah, Sam will certainly get you a merit badge. He'll even 3D print one of you guys. Um, but but seriously, we want to know what you're thinking about. Uh, we love, of course, all the conversations happening over on teachercast.tv. Um, let us know. Um, Peggy, you've been great with all the links. Peggy says, thanks for the fun trip down memory lane. Mm-hmm. Um, we we, we want to do these shows more often. I mean, you know, the last one of, of these memory shows we did, I think, was Steve Jobs a couple years ago. Um, there's a lot of great things that we can be talking about as we go through here. Um, can I tell you one of my puppet fantasies, Jeff? No, Since we're going to end the show. Oh, okay, fine. No, no, hashtag puppet fantasy. This will this will bring in the view. Wow. Right? I don't know that I want to see that hashtag used. No, I wouldn't click on it even if we used it. <laughs> we, we've gone from um, Peggy. We, we've gone I don't from- the use of hashtags that sound like that. Yeah, no, no, no. no, no, no think right. about it here. We've gone from Piggy was a, a, a drag queen uh, trucker to Bert versus Ernie to now he's got puppet fantasies. Go ahead. <laughs> the, the updated version of Statler and Waldorf Ugh. should be old man Steve Jobs and old man Jim Henson because it's a darn shame we don't get either of them. True. <laughs> if I had a mic, I would drop it. Oh, wait, I do. Um, guys, thanks so much uh, for coming on the show tonight. This has been great. Um, it was one of those we needed to do a show like this for a while. Um, definitely not a tech show, and that's okay. You can be a tech educator without talking tech. Um, let's see. Alexis is saying you should do a high fidelity style top ten. Okay, I don't know what that means. Alexis, well, what does to that look mean? that up, Alexis. <laughs> <laughs> You're cooler than we are. Sorry. Oh, always was. Yes. Um, let's see, Alexis, what you graduated a year ahead of me. That was what that was. Um, guys, uh, please check us out. Tech educator Um, we are coming up on some pretty awesome milestones here, both on the channel. Uh, we're almost at 10,000 YouTube subscribers. So guys, please check it out. Teachercast.net slash YouTuber, a few hundred away, but still at 96 or 9,700 YouTube subscribers. That's pretty darn cool. So guys, thank you for all the support. Teachercast.net slash YouTube is what we want to support today. Sam, where do we find you? You can find me and all my things at mypaperlessclassroom.com. Jennifer, where do we find you? I'm online at teachingforward.net and Twitter at teachingforward. All right. One last one here because I'm sitting here staring at pictures. Beaker or scooter? Please, Beaker. Scooter. Ah, I knew that. Was ah! gonna I knew okay. that was going to We'll have it out you. next time. Yep, okay. yep. And find out next week when we uh, continue our Tech Educator podcast. Salute to whatever we're going to talk about next week. Keep up the great work in your classroom, guys, and continue sharing your passions with your students. 